0: It has been a pleasure to be with you and uh, look forward to this morning worshiping, ascending to heaven with you. Uh, Let's pray and we will begin. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this time. We thank you to uh, make connections over time and space with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that we can come in and immediately be joined together because we are in union with Christ by the Spirit. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this time, and we pray that you would indeed teach us to pray as we ought. We all fall uh, short of what we need to be doing. Uh, And I I pray that you would encourage us uh, this day to to, uh, develop the disciplines of prayer and develop our relationship with you by doing so. Uh, Guide us by your Spirit today. Quicken our thoughts. Open our minds, our hearts, that we may love and obey all of your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We have been focusing on these three sessions, uh, in these three talks, on Romans 8 and verses 26 to 27. Of course, that comes in a context. And we will uh, I'll deal some with that and there's going uh, to be to quote the uh, press secretary for President Biden we're going to circle back to, to uh, some of these things uh, in the in the sermon in Luke 11 uh, in the Lord's Prayer uh, because I know not everybody was here and so I'm going to, uh, don't think I'm just uh, repeating myself for the sake of repeating myself there will be some things I review there but um, in this in this meditation or talk we're going to we're going to focus on the work of prayer. We've been meditating on Romans eight, twenty-six, and 27. We've learned some things about prayer. And in the first meditation on this passage, we answered the question, what is prayer? Prayer is the participation in the life or of, the commun- of communication of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We join the eternal conversation. We join to Christ by the Spirit. We share His desires, His aims, His loves, His hates, and other aspects of the divine life. And we take up conversation with the Father in the Son and through the Spirit. Now, sharing this life doesn't mean we have become God. Uh, We also learn that we have weakness in prayer. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. We, we, along with the rest of the world, need things that we don't know about. And we see the way things ought to be. We pray for that. But we don't know what God must do to get us there. And, and, And the world... As well to that place. And at this point of our groaning and prayer, the Spirit takes up our groans and intercedes on our behalf to the Father. The Father hears our prayers through the Spirit and He gives us what we need. There's this one last area of prayer I want to deal with from this text, and that is the work of prayer. And we'll explore two questions here How does prayer work? And how do we do the work of prayer? Let's turn our attention first to the first question, how does prayer work? One of the questions that arises in churches like ours, it concerns the relationship of God's sovereignty to prayer. If God is in control of all things so that they will most certainly come to their intended end, why pray? And some might find the sovereignty of God a discouragement from prayer. My prayers don't matter, might be the sentiment. Others may find the sovereignty of God as an excuse not to pray. Since prayer doesn't really change anything, it is really not all that important. That might be an excuse to neglect the discipline of prayer. Doesn't Paul say in Romans 8.28 that God is working all things for the good of those who love Him? And if so, can't I just sit down and just float down the river of God's sovereignty? Well, This is a misunderstanding of the biblical teaching of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty, His absolute reign over all things, is a comfort And that strengthens us in our work, and it's not an excuse to avoid work. God's sovereignty is the assurance that what He has commanded us to do will ultimately be fruitful. In God's eternal fixed plan, He uses what we do to accomplish His plan. God has not only ordained what will be, but He has also ordained the means to that end. Not praying because God is sovereign is like not eating because God has our days numbered. It is is like letting go of the steering wheel and texting and asking Jesus to take the wheel. Because what will be, will be. That is not what the Bible teaches about God's sovereignty. It is mysterious to us how God can be controlling all things and yet using Activities like eating and holding on to the steering wheel and, pray, and prayer to accomplish His eternal purpose. But that's exactly what He does. The prayers of His people are one of the means God uses to move the world to its intended purpose. Now, this all fits in with the nature of prayer itself as being participation in the life of God. God has, turned, God has united us to Himself to join in His life, which means that we participate with Him in His creation project, our being a part of the family of God means that we participate in the family mission. That is to see the creation come to the place that God intended for it from the beginning. Remember, Rome, uh, Romans has already told us in Romans 8 and in this passage, the creation is groaning for this in, in pains of childbirth. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8.22 that the the creation is groaning for this and is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed for this to happen. Creation's purpose is all tied up with us. So how does prayer fit into this creation project? What effect does prayer have on the situation? Well, let's think about this in terms of how God first reveals himself to us in the creation. We learn from Genesis 1. That God creates the world by His Word through the Spirit. The Apostle John emphasizes this in the opening of his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made through Him. God created all things by the Word of His power, the the second member of the, the Godhead. The Father speaks the Word. And the breath that carries that Word to make it effective in the creation is the Spirit. So the Spirit is the power in union with the Word that creates and arranges the creation into the order that God the Father wants it, all working together. God created man to be a part of His family, to participate with Him in this creation project, ordering the created world and creating new things from what God has provided. This is what we call dominion. This is the dominion project, what God called Adam and Eve to do in the beginning. Now, one of the tools of dominion, a principal tool of dominion, is prayer. Praying in the Spirit with articulate words or groans, praying in the Spirit recreates and rearranges the world. How? God has united us with His eternal Word, His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. We are in the Word. We are, therefore, words of God, united to the Word of God, and we have the same Spirit that carried God's Word into nothingness and created the world. We are, as Paul says, living epistles, as Peter says, one of those two. As the writer of Hebrews says, somewhere it is written, we are epistles of God. Our words are united with the Word by the Spirit, and the Spirit carries those words to rearrange the world. So we're all caught up in the Trinity and and in this creation. When we speak or we pray in Jesus' name, we are words of God being carried along by the Spirit who is empowering our weakness. In Jesus' name is not merely a little tag we put on the end of our prayers. We are confessing that we are praying in union with Jesus. The very word of God, and through His mediation, according and according to His kingdom purposes, and as far as we know, in line with His will. Just as in original creation, when the Spirit carried the Word into the world to form and fill the creation, so now He takes our words in union with the eternal Word into the world to rearrange the world according to God's kingdom purposes. That's how we participate. When we think of dominion activities, we tend to think of implements. We can put it in our hands and change things relatively quickly. If I have an ax or a chainsaw, I use that to cut down a tree. We send it to the mill to be milled into planks in order to build a house. That is dominion. And yes, it is. But prayer is more vital, fundamental, is a more vital fundamental aspect of our dominion taking than even an ax or a chainsaw because it gives our gives us our foundation for why we are building the house. In prayer, we realize that unless Yahweh builds the house, those who labor build in vain. He is the one who is ultimately building the house. We are participating with Him. Prayer works not because we have all the mechanics down, that we say all the right words, we have all the right groanings, or we go through certain motions. Prayer works because it is joining with God in His work participating in His power through the Spirit. In no way should we discount the way our prayers affect the world. We need to be careful about theologizing our way out of seeing how God uses prayer to change the world. We hear in Genesis 18 how Abraham goes back and forth with Yahweh, and Yahweh listened to Abraham's prayer. James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He goes on to give us the example of Elijah praying that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again that it would rain and it rained. God is not amusing us by making us think that we are participating when we really aren't. He has genuinely called us to participate with him in making this new creation. We are co-laborers together with God. Prayer is fundamental to that. God really does work with our prayers. It's not a shell game. And so prayer works. Now the question comes, how do we do the work of prayer? Now the work of prayer, that phrase may seem a little odd to us, but again, uh, Paul writes, the way Paul writes, tells us that prayer is indeed work. He speaks about the groans and pains of childbirth of the creation and how we are joined in with it. And if any woman in here has gone through childbirth, you know that's a little bit of work, right? Well, that's the way Paul describes the entire creation as it waits for the revelation of the sons of God. It is in the pains of childbirth. It is in labor pains until this new creation is birthed. And we take up and participate in those labor pains. So prayer is work, work that takes us to some uncomfortable places at times. And there is no epidural for it, okay? Because it is a part of our working with God, prayer requires effort and discipline. Some Christians will tell you that prayer should be like breath to the Christian. And that may be true. Prayer is like breath in the fact that it's necessary to, to the life of the Christian. We need it because it is vital to our communion with God. However, it is not something that is involuntary, going on in the background while I'm doing other things. Unlike breathing, prayer requires conscious discipline and effort. In order to mature in doing the work of prayer, there are a few disciplines we need to learn. First, we need to learn how to pray. And some will say, I know, I, I know how to pray, I just talk to God. Others might even add, rightly, that, it, that I also listen to God through the Scriptures. And those are all correct in, as far as they go. But there is more to learning how to pray... Than just doing what may seem to come naturally. Remember that we are sinners and our minds and hearts are bent towards certain directions that may not pray in line with God's will. Now, I'm not saying prayer is complicated like calculus, but God has given us commands, precepts, principles, and patterns of prayer in Scripture that ought to shape the way we think, what we love, what we desire, and how we pray. As we learned earlier in this short series, prayer has to be in tune with the desires and purposes of the triune god we are participating in god's conversation and so we have we have inspired conversation that we need to learn so that our prayers aren't dissonant with the divine conversation this begins by learning the prayers that god has given us first the psalms the lord's prayer and other scriptural prayers now people will give you all sorts of outlines to pray and we i, I mentioned this yesterday mentioned this yesterday it is popular to teach people to pray with the acts outline something i've given my own children in the past adoration confession thanksgiving supplication and there's no problem with that but how do i adore what do i confess for what should i give things and what for what should i be supplicating the the psalms are inspired prayers god's prayer book for his people right at the heart of the bible Meditate and pray, whether speaking or singing, through them. One a day or even when you reach Psalm 119, a portion or two each day. Sing them in your family worship as we sing them in corporate worship. You, you, know, what you're pray- you know that you're praying in tune with the Spirit when you pray the Psalms because the Psalms are God-breathed. They're Spirit-inspired. But what you do in these Psalms is you find the church and yourself Within the church, in the rejoicing, in the suffering, in the thanksgiving, in the lamenting, and rebukes in the psalms, as you pray, you say, "Well, we're not suffering like this, uh, like this psalm is talking about here." So this doesn't really apply to us. But the church somewhere is, and so we are participating with their suffering as we pray the psalms with them. So we find us, we find ourselves, and we find the church in these psalms, and we pray for them. We pray for the church in China or North Korea. Uh, Because they are suffering intense persecution. And so we join with them and pray these Psalms. So we have also been taught how to pray by our Lord in what we call the Lord's Prayer, which I'm going to focus on briefly this morning in the sermon. You may recite it or you may pray through it line by line as you meditate on it and expand what each line means. Luther did this, and he has a, a little paper. You can find it online called A Simple Way to Pray by Luther. It's, a, it's great. He tells his own, about his own prayer life. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great guide to prayer. But you move through the Lord's Prayer petition by petition. Now, what is it that you're praying for, for instance, when you pray, Our Father? Is there, is there reason to give thanks here? How is it that you can call Him Father. And how should that affect the way uh, you are praying at that particular time? What are you praying when you pray? Hallowed be your name. That is, that is, this is a petition more than it is a statement. How should God's name be sanctified or made holy in the world? How is God's name to be sanctified in your life? How are you to participate in the, in the answer to this prayer? And on and on we can go. And I will go on and on and on this morning. I, I, Greg told me I had about an hour and a half to preach this morning. So I'm going to just go. No, I'm, I'm kidding. He, he's sweating back there now. What, what you will find is that you will be praying for things and in ways that aren't too common In our church today, when you use the Psalms, you use the Lord's Prayer, and you use all Scripture to inform your praying. See, while in the Psalms you'll be rejoicing in God's goodness, you'll also be questioning where He is in fulfilling His promises. Very honest praying. I've trusted you and you've abandoned me. Ever felt that way? The Psalms give expression to those sentiments for the church for individual lives so you'll be rejoicing but you'll also be questioning and that's okay on the one hand you'll be praying for others well-being on the other hand you'll be praying for the destruction for their destruction and their babies being dashed up against a rock consider psalm 58 it is rare it is rare to hear in hymns and praise courses or even spoken prayers the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance he will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked how often have you prayed that Many mistakenly think that this sounds more like a Muslim prayer than it does a Christian prayer. But it is in the Psalms, and we are commanded by the apostles to sing and pray these Psalms. We might not normally be praying like this, and our minds need to be conformed to this. I remember when I first went to the church in Louisville, and we started singing Psalm 137, had a person come up to me and say, Do you think that's really appropriate to sing? I said, Yeah, I think it's a lot more appropriate than some of the other stuff we're singing. (laughs) Psalm 137 is talking about the dashing the baby's heads against the rock. Paul commanded us to sing the Psalms. And so it's not it's not the Psalms that need adjusting. It's us. We need the adjusting. We need to have our minds conform and find out what that means and, 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 and express that to God in prayer. So, this is why we need to be guided in prayer by the Spirit through those prayers that He has inspired, having our thoughts, desires, and petitions shaped by the way God has taught us to pray. We also learn to pray through the prayers of the church that don't come straight from Scripture. Through the centuries, the church has developed prayers that are in tune with the scriptural way to pray. You have, you have to be more careful here because these prayers aren't inspired, but we can learn from faithful fathers and mothers how to pray. Just like you teach your children to pray, our fathers and mothers in the faith teach us how to pray. There's, there are good old Presbyterian, Anglican, and Lutheran prayer books that are very helpful in this regard. As I told you yesterday, I I kind of, uh, modify the book of common prayer from 1662 for my own prayer time, um update the language, do those types of things, but uh, allowed it, allowed Thomas Cranmer to teach me how to pray. Okay. One of the many activities pastors are doing in our liturgies on Sundays and any other times of prayer is teaching you how to pray. The liturgy is as much teaching you how to pray as it is praying. We are gathering to pray, but through the liturgy itself, you are learning how to pray. And as we take our cues from Scripture and how the church, under the guidance of the Spirit, has prayed through the millennia, the congregation, you, are being trained, we all are being trained, disciplined how to pray. Our children, for instance, are learning the language of prayer and prayers that, they will, that will be with them throughout their lives. This is why it's quite important that we pastors be careful and thoughtful about the liturgy. While times of free prayer are acceptable and encouraged, Church gatherings for prayer are many times best ordered with liturgies that focus our prayers and train us to pray. When the, dis- when the disciples met in the early church, Luke tells us in the book of Acts that they continued in the apostles' doctrines in the breaking of bread and the prayers. These liturgical prayers, such as the Psalms and the prayers that Jesus gave them, developing disciplined prayer lives is difficult. There are times that we find ourselves fighting ourselves to pray. We have, other, we have other things to do, and we really don't want to take the time to pray, whether individual, with the family, or with the church. There are times when prayer isn't difficult. In fact, there are times it's a reflex, a reflex response in times of tragedy. Let someone you love become ill or lose a job. And the first thing Just about anybody will do is pray and ask others to join them. I have old friends and family uh, who aren't loyal to Christ. But when something happens, they're on Facebook asking everybody to pray about it. All of a sudden, it's just we got to pray. For those of you who are alive on 9-11 or or aware on 9-11, you remember what happened then. Everybody was called to pray national local tragedy and people will fill churches and pray there are difficulties that provoke prayer because in those times we recognize just how needy we are and how out of control we are we don't have control over things but when tragedies pass into relative distant memory we don't feel the urgency to pray as much anymore because we got this now praying in these times is certainly the right response to these situations and certainly to be encouraged. But just imagine that you had a child who never wanted to talk to you or spend time with you. He was always too busy and couldn't fit you into his schedule until something went wrong. And then when, you, when, he, when, uh, when he needed money, he needed to get, get, you, get, get out of a bind, you helped him, then he went back to ignoring you. Do you think that's a good relationship? That's a healthy relationship? You might even begin to think that your child really doesn't want a relationship with you. He just wants what you can do for him when he wants it. But otherwise, he can do without the relationship. But isn't that the way many people treat our Heavenly Father? We don't care enough about our relationship with him to cultivate that relationship in prayer, which means we come into his presence alone and with his people in order to talk about the things that we love and want to see done. Times of great distress are good times to pray, but they should also be reminders of what we need all of the time. We need time to, with our God to cultivate love for Him and His desires and purposes for us and the world. Now, there are a number of reasons why prayer is so difficult for us. and I, I just want to mention a few. First of all, the most obvious is we don't, we don't love God and His purposes the way that we ought. We don't share His desires and Let's just get right down to the nub of the matter there. We care more about what we want to do than about cultivating this relationship and giving ourselves in prayer for the sake of others and the world. Other things are more important to us. Sure, we'll say a little prayer here and there and we'll salve our consciences that we have prayed. But to take time to spend alone or with our families and or with the church in prayer doesn't deserve our time and effort. There are more important things to do. This is a revelation of our loves. We love sports, movies, hunting, or something else more, and we just have to be honest with ourselves. I make make things that I love a priority in my life. The way I can tell what I love is what I do. My actions always reveal what I love, what I desire the most. There is no way to get around that. Prayerlessness is the revelation that I don't love God and His purposes above all things. I may be seeking the kingdom of God in some way, but I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. A second reason we find it difficult to pray is simply sloth or lack of discipline. We are busy people, some because the culture or society in which we live, and some because of our own doing. We think that because we are busy, there is no possible way we can be considered slothful. But slothfulness is not merely laying around on the couch playing video games all day. Slothfulness is the refusal to discipline myself to fulfill my responsibilities. You can be a busy, busy person and be a sloth. It is prioritizing the things I'd rather be doing over the doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. There is nothing wrong with having fun, but have you ditched your responsibilities to do so? There's nothing wrong with working hard, but have you neglected your responsibilities to your family to do so? Prayer is work. Many times prayer isn't fun, especially when it is in union with the church and I'm not able to pray just anything that comes to my mind, but must submit to and join with others to pray together. As Americans, we might also think, okay, I'll pray, but I need to be doing something else while I'm praying so that I'm actually getting something accomplished. <laughs> it is as if time dedicated to prayer alone is a waste of time. There's nothing wrong with praying while you're doing other things. You're going to walk or you do something else. That it should be encouraged, in fact. But there also needs to be times set aside for prayer, whether it is in family worship or worship in the church. Prayer is one area of the Christian life that for many is the greatest battle. And why do you think that is? Keep them from praying. Read the tape letters. (laughs) Satan wants nothing more than a prayerless Christian or Christian church. He doesn't mind having churches that are huge and very active as long as they don't make prayer central. Sinclair Ferguson comments on this, and I wish I could say it with the Scottish brogue like he does, but I can't. He says this, again, there is a lack of prayer and of the church praying. This is to me the most alarming for this reason. We have built apparently strong, large, successful, active churches, but many of our churches never meet as a congregation for prayer. I mean, never. What does, the, what does that indicate we are saying about the life of the church as a fellowship? By contrast, the mark of a truly apostolic spirit in the church is that we give ourselves to prayer and the Word together. Acts 6.4. No wonder the Word of God continued to increase and in the number of disciples multiplied. If this is so, it should not surprise us that while many churches see growth, it is often simply reconfiguration of numbers, not conversion. I greatly wish that our churches would learn to keep the main thing central, that we would learn to be true churches, vibrant fellowships of prayer, gospel ministry and teaching, genuine mutual love. At the end of the day, such a church simply needs to be for visitors who come to sense that this is a new order of reality altogether and are drawn to Christ. Prayer doesn't draw in the crowds, but it is central to who we are as the people of God. We are, as I mentioned yesterday, the house of prayer. We are the temple of God. Without prayer being central to our existence, we are nothing but a civic organization with a Christian label slapped on us. We are the YMCA, the Salvation Army, or a country club for Christians, but we aren't the church. Another reason it's difficult is that we don't see immediate results. Prayer is difficult because we generally don't see the results of our prayers immediately. The air we breathe in our Christian or excuse me in our American society is pragmatism. Is it getting results? If we don't see the results in a short time, then we ditch it. That's why we have pills and drinks to help us lose weight fast. Disciplining ourselves for the long haul to promote health, that isn't fast enough. We are cell phone generation, an instant connection. Don't keep me waiting society. Prayer is a discipline of constant plodding and faith with results that may not be seen in the short run or ever in this life to our knowledge. It is a discipline of faith that God has told us is good for us, and we simply have to trust Him. The changes that come to our lives and situations happen slowly many times. Prayer requires patient perseverance in faith, trusting that what God has said is good for us. We'd really rather be doing something that makes changes we can see, something we think we have control of. Prayer puts us in a position of the reality that we ultimately have control of nothing. We live our lives by faith, not by sight. Prayer is necessary for our humility. And also, another reason is that we don't think it really all that important, as I've already alluded to. Though the whole of Scripture speaks to the importance of the disciplines of prayer, we don't think it's really that important. It is important, but it's not more important than other things, which really means it's not all that important. We are to be characterized by prayer as God's people. So how do we develop these disciplines of prayer? I want to wrap this up as soon as I can here. How do you develop the disciplines of going to your job? You get up and you go to your job every day, whether you feel like it or not. There is no magic formula. How do you develop good eating habits? You stop eating the things that are hurting you and you start eating the things that help you. You develop a taste for them along the way okay? Even though kale, you never develop a taste for. If you know something is good for you and you desire that above all things, you will discipline yourself to do that. You have to desire that thing more than you desire the immediate pleasure. Contrary to what some people think, just because you love something doesn't mean that it won't be work. There'll be times when you won't won't want to do what you are supposed to do. And that's what that that's why you make commitments and you follow through a funny thing happens. As you continue to follow through consistently, your desires begin to change. You begin to want to discipline. You begin to want to do the discipline more so that it doesn't seem as arduous as when you began. If for some reason you have to forego a practice of discipline for a day because of some uncontrollable situation, you actually begin to miss it in order to have a heart for prayer. You're going to have to begin to take time to pray. And you're going to have to stick with it. It is only as you stop at times individually as a family and with a church to think about what is going on in the light of scriptures that your mind and heart will be shaped to be a prayer and to pray in tune with the spirit. You ought to make it a priority to gather with the church anytime we are called together to pray if possible. This is a discipline. Yes, it will mean saying no to other things, things that you know that you or your children just can't live without. I encourage you not to be short-sighted about what your present schedules are producing long-term. What is the long-term fruit of what you are doing in the place of gathering with God's people to pray? Are you sacrificing the best for the acceptable? When we get outside the church gathering together Different people have different ways of disciplining themselves and or their households to pray. Mothers with small children will not be able to spend a sweet hour of prayer that calls them from a world of care. Okay? At least not alone. They can't even go to the bathroom alone, much less I have six children. Okay? <laughs> Leaving children alone for five minutes, depending on their ages, could be disastrous. It's daddy's job to provide a time of prayer for the family. He disciplines the household, working with mom to get everyone together at certain time of day to spend time in prayer. And this may be the only time mom gets to sit down for concentrated prayer. If you're in that situation, then work with the situation God has given you. Your family prayer time doesn't have to be an hour. There may be times when it is no more than five to ten minutes. If you have some sort of liturgy, you can get some good prayer in in five to ten minutes. If you have time to steal away and pray, by all means, do so. If you're unmarried, then there's really no excuse at all for you not to spend time in prayer. No matter your situation, the discipline of prayer will never just happen. It will take effort. There will be many times you have to wrestle through many distractions. If you believe that you and your family are too busy to pray, it may be that that you need to check your priorities. Why do you love other things more than prayer? Why is this being pushed out of your life? Prayer won't just happen when you can fit it in. It will take work. But the work is well worth it. Not because if you pray, everything will be great and you will be prosperous and your life will be easy. It is well worth it because you're cultivating a relationship with God. And God is working with you in prayer to change the world around you and you yourself. Your faith may not be immediately rewarded the way you think, but it will be rewarded. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep praying. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, we have a hard stop in five minutes. So you got to ask, you have to ask questions really fast if you have any questions. I was I was I was speaking really fast. Y'all were just listening slow. So yes. Yes. How, how did you like, especially when your your kids were younger? Yes. How did you put that into action? Like you were saying, come with uh-huh. kind of a prayer, like sixteen sixty two. You kind of rework that in your own. Is that something you would do with your kids, or is that just something you would do like private? Like, That's something I would do. Uh, I would do privately. Um, uh, I have. Uh, I, re- I, I redid some things uh, and took things from our church liturgy. Mm-hmm which where I wanted to train them, for instance, like the creed um, or prayers that we pray during church and developed a a basic family type liturgy. And then we would go through and we would use that so that it wouldn't take um, it wouldn't take 30 to 45 minutes, because when you have small children, it's very difficult. But there were there were benefits to this because you had you had prayer time with them, but it was also we we kind of, Susan and I called it worship training time because it was that time when we told them, no, you're going to sit. You're not just going to keep running around, doing everything while we're praying. You're going to sit and you're going to train you to s- sit through some things. And there there's a time to play and there's a time to pray. Okay. And that helped us on Sundays, especially with my wife being a single mom during j- church. Because uh, I was always up in the pulpit, of course. And she had six little ones in the pew. And so that was, a, that was my responsibility during the week to make sure that they were, uh, they were being trained. And so it was a lot, a lot being accomplished, but basically had a short-ish type liturgy, 10, maybe 15 minutes at times. And, sorry. Yeah, no, no. And then, like, as your kids get older, like, would you just kind of build on top of that or would you restructure it? You, you can build on that. Um, but you uh, some things change. Like right now, (laughs) our children are on all different schedules now because I've got three at home, 20, 18, 16. Well, they're at work at the times we we used to do that. We, we pray together when, whenever we can, but things have changed drastically because they're just kind of, we, we kind of pass one another, (laughs) you know, right. It is at the making of your own stage. And that's one of the things we had to do. My wife and I pray together. Um, what we would do in the mornings, we, um, I took I, I used Proverbs as basically a catechism for my children. And I went through uh, a third of a chapter of Proverbs, generally speaking, every, every morning. And we would pray together. And in the evenings, um, because we homeschooled and it was easier to do this, I, everybody can't do this. And in the evenings, we would have a short... Liturgy uh, to go through, and that's uh, that helped us. And that structure helped. It helped them. They knew they knew what to expect. They could participate. Uh, I wasn't teaching forever, but as they got older too, as I would read through the scriptures and I would just read the scriptures, I wouldn't preach them a sermon. Uh, there were a lot of questions that they started asking, and so that began to expand things, and that was good. So that's kind of how I did it. And I, I, I provide a, a short family worship liturgy for our church. Um, it kind of incorporates what we do in our church liturgy. It's not a reduction of the liturgy, but it's aspects of it. So that's it. Yes. Just, you alluded to this yesterday about when prayer is easy, tragedy strikes. You said people jump on Facebook. You use the example of 9-11. You know, they, they come out and you say, should that be acceptable to us? You know, aren't they kind of like mocking us? Like all of a sudden, they're they're lukewarm Christians. I mean, not even they're not even that. Yeah. How do we interpret their prayers and coming from. Them? It's a good it's a good question. I, I think in, in line with I think what Greg was mentioning yesterday, which was a good insight for me as well. So, you know, God may be doing something through this tragedy that actually brings them into the place where they need to be. So I wouldn't discourage it. It is at times um, frustrating because, okay, are you just going to do this again? You're going to go through this tragedy. You're going to get on the other side of it and then go back to living like normal. And uh, I tend to be very cynical in that way. Um, but I think we need to give space to, uh, to folks like that and, and, and try to encourage that. Say, you don't you not only need to do this now, but you need to keep doing this. You need to stay in church. You need to stay praying and things like that. But I understand how it can be frustrating uh, at times. And let God handle the outcome of their hypocrisy. Yeah. Greg, we need to go? That's it. All right. Thank you very much.